0: It was a good beard. The beard was doing a lot of acting.
1: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode four, yes, four, of Children of the Wilderness. (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) Let's
2: call it 5 Five, let's say five, it's
1: five, episode five. Oh, please don't. Last episode, David. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There might be, I mean, it's been bloody ages since uh, we last recorded. I mean, it probably won't seem like that when you actually hear this, because... Um, I haven't released the last episode yet, and the reason for that is I haven't ponied up for the uh fancy SoundCloud account, which means we can host more than two podcasts because our podcasts are so long. Are <laughs> they closing
0: forward... down SoundCloud? What? Isn't is something bad happening to SoundCloud right now? I mean maybe, We'll get back but... to you on SoundCloud.
1: <laughs> if so, we're kind of fucked. <laughs> Because I might have to look for an alternative. Maybe we're not going to be on SoundCloud for very long. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look
0: into that. Um, yeah, Google that would, it, people.
1: Yeah, that would it, suck. I don't think anyone
2: was coming here for an up-to-the-minute commentary on SoundCloud's <laughs> internal politics and possible funding discrepancies.
0: Oh, I don't know. I think we've got to cover all our bases here. Like, We want listeners, and so we don't care how we get them. If that's what they want, then that's what they'll get.
2: <laughs> From what I've figured out listening to podcasts, what listeners really want is adverts for me undies. For what? Me undies. It's some kind of like Netflix, but for
1: underpants. This is new. To... You listen to a very different podcasts to me, Joe. I get a lot of Squarespace, and um, oh, who else do I get? A lot of stamps. dot obviously. Most. Oh, I was never sure though, what
2: Squarespace but... was because the tone that everybody advertises it in just immediately my brain turns off when that happens. <laughs> I assume Squarespace is just a space for people to keep their squares, like their I think various so. quadr quadrilateral sort of geomet- geometric shapes. Is that it? Is that a thing?
1: I mean, I would assume it would have to be. Uh, Specifically squares You can't just let any old rectangle in
2: Well yeah You can't just have a fucking Non-equilateral tetrahedron or something
1: Yeah I mean You'd have to keep that in your Non-equilateral tetrahedron Space
2: Squarespace is a racist basically It's like a country club for shapes
1: (laughs) And with that I should probably introduce you both Shouldn't I? No triangles, no Jews. Uh, So, that you just heard was Joe in Berlin. Hello. And uh, the lady you heard earlier was Amy in London.
0: Hello. I'm Amy. I'm a lady. (laughs) That's what you are.
1: Yeah. She's here
2: to comment on lady issues.
0: Yeah.
1: Lady issues alone. (laughs) That is the only reason we have you. If
0: If I start getting ideas above my station and start commenting on more kind of general themes please do yeah. remember to put oh, me back in my worry. place. don't worry. We'll step in. Thank you.
1: Or, or at least I will, even if it's only in the edit afterwards. Alright, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, well, here we all are again, and today we are talking about The Unquiet Dead, which is episode three of series one uh, of the uh, Eccleston years. Um, it's not really Eccleston years, is it? It's just Eccleston a year. Was it really only a year? Yeah, just in the one series. Wow. Yeah, that. was so, yeah. that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so this was, this is the first episode not written by Russell T. Davis of the new series, and it is written by none other than Mark Gatis, who I think I'm right in saying is the only writer... To have kind of stuck around and and written at least one episode for pretty much every series. I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. I haven't like got any, haven't fact checked this or anything. Unless but, you're like
2: talking about Neil Gaiman used to do sort of comic stuff for it, but
1: that's yeah, not New Who. And he's done he's done a couple of episodes of the new series, but he's not like done one every single series, and I think with the exception of the specials year for David Tennant, which Gatus didn't do one for, he he's written one like every... I can't think of mm. a series off the top of my head that didn't have a Gatiss episode in. Um, have, you, have you read any of Gatus's novels? The Vesuvius Club. I had and, a go um, at the first one. It didn't click with me, to be honest. No? No. It's, it's
2: you know, it's a... It, bisexual Edwardian spy novel it's um,
1: yeah, it's, it, I,
2: I liked it, it. I
0: was I well think it into was, it but. it was
1: one of those things where it's just like I, on paper it sounds like everything I would be on board for but there was something about it in execution that whatever reason it just didn't grab me I mean, I might give it another go at some point but um, I'd have to get back into reading actual books again Second one,
2: you would probably be a bit more into, I think, because it's um, a bit kind of pastiche Lovecraftian. Um, There's kind of nods to the Cthulhu Mythos all over it. Um, But I think before, the Cthulhu Mythos was just sort of plastered on everything as this kind of all-encompassing squid brand.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny (laughs) how that's happened, isn't it? It's just become... I think because it's public domain... It's an easy thing for like board game designers and people to just kind of just slap on any otherwise generic thing to instantly and it's inherently target a
2: melodramatic and ridiculous and silly.
1: It is. It's glorious. I love yeah. it. And I, I'm actually pretty much. I mean, it can be done badly, but I'll take that if it means that we also get tons of people all experimenting and kind of dipping a toe in those particular murky waters, and putting their own spin on uh, that whole Lovecraftian business. Uh, anyway, uh, I've barely introduced the episode already. We're getting sidetracked. <laughs> so,
2: this is relevant information. This is Mark Gattis's frame of reference, which is obviously also... It spans from Charles Dickens to Lovecraft.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... this. Right from the off, if even if you don't know that much about Mark Gates, if you only know him from League of Gentlemen, like I think if you told anyone that this episode was written by one of the writers and performers of The League of Gentlemen, it wouldn't necessarily come as a surprise because you know it is playing on those some of those more overt horror themes. Um, I mean, this let's be honest, we've got zombie time. ghosts. Yeah, it's uh, you you know that what a have your cake and eat it monster that is Hmm. both zombies and ghosts and aliens.
2: Like this, when this came out, he would have been pretty much only known for League of Gentlemen. I think. I mean, I'm pretty sure he he had the novel, but like, uh, just like the one. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I think. I mean, probably even now, he's still. I guess maybe Sherlock has overtaken it a bit, but yeah, certainly at the time he was that bloke from the League of Gentlemen and that was pretty much it. Um, so... yeah, he did the best joke in the League of
2: Gentlemen's live DVD. The I've one... not seen it. It's the one where um, the the stupid guy from the Job Centre is, is on trial for murder and someone accuses him of... Uh, a, c- a crime of passion, a clean passionnel. And he says, is that a type of cake? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. It was good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, there's lots of little kind of good bantery moments in this.
1: There are, there are, absolutely. Um, which we'll get to. I'm going to try and keep things fairly chronological, if we can. So, mm. um, so this episode, cold open, it, it kicks off with... Um, Mr. Sneed, our Undertaker, and um, Gwyneth, his assistant, um, sort of tangling with what appears to be not their first zombie ghost.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, a fairly blasé attitude towards zombie <laughs> ghosts, <laughs> yes. if we're being honest.
1: I really like that. I, I really liked the sort of just weariness with which <laughs> <in laughs> the Undertaker deals with the fact that, oh, it, Another
0: bloody zombie ghost. Right, like he's okay. accepted that this is going to continue to be a part of his life. He's not trying to <laughs> fix it. He's not, just not really
1: well. I mean, doesn't it, quite early. On, I don't know if if it is in that scene, but Gwyneth is like, C- come on now, this is getting out of hand. We need to do. We need to actually do something. We can't just keep sort of papering over the fact that all the all of the dead bodies that turn up at this Undertaker's stop being dead.
2: But like he, He's
0: like, yeah, well, can't we though?
2: It, well, he says it's good for business, doesn't he? He says it's sort of like a <laughs> reputation thing. Oh, all the ghost stories on. and stuff. The ghost yeah. stories. And I think that because like Gatis is a, so, he's a comedy writer, but he's also a literary writer, so he's got... He's not writing this in the actual 1800s. He is writing this in like the 1860s according to gothic literature where literally where sort of it is the kind of league of gentlemen thing where disturbing events are essentially commonplace that's sort of the attitude that they have in rest <coughs> and isn't it where something yeah. happens like that they're just perturbed by it not disturbed
1: yes yeah there is that sort of flavor to it certainly for, for a Sneed and uh, Gwyneth as well I guess with, in Gwyneth's case because she's got this kind of connection to what she at least perceives to be the spirit world um, even though obviously that's kind of scienced away at the end um, <laughs> that I think means that, that like between them neither of them are neither of them are freaking out about this they are just kind of having to roll up their sleeves and get on with it Um but yeah, I, I really love that call open. I'll be honest, I'm going to be singing the praises of this episode a lot because, I mean, I think I said at the end of the last one, I was looking forward to seeing this again. I have actually watched it's one of those ones that I have watched I think at least a couple of times since it first aired because with the Eccleston series I tend to cherry pick it. I have rewatched it, but I will just pick the episodes that I remember liking before. Um, and it you know, but it, having said that, it's been like four or five years since I last watched it. It still holds up, I think. Um, what did you guys both kind of think of it going into it? Did you have strong memories of this episode prior to rewatching it?
0: I didn't remember it at all. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it all just sort of blurred into the sort of, oh, they're doing a costume drama one again, I thought. <laughs> but...
1: Yeah, I,
2: I did. I did remember it happening, but I actually, I don't probably to its credit, kind of didn't realise exactly that it was that early in it.
1: Yeah, but I yeah. I thought it
2: was a bit of a later one where they it it definitely felt a lot more kind of relaxed and into its groove than than um well the two Russell T Davies ones we <laughs> just watched because they had so much kind of to do.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of heavy lifting in those, whereas this. Just felt like prime Doctor Who, hmm. you know. Yeah,
2: it's it's a one shot monster of the week kind of thing. Doesn't yep. tie into anything. Nice little wrapped up story.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's a historical as well, which of course is this is the first proper historical episode we get where we go to a particular time period and pal about with some old tiny people that you recognise from. School history lessons or whatever.
2: <laughs> the doctor meets a famous author or someone who we're supposed to have heard of, and I'm supposed to have heard of Charles Dickens. But, yeah. um, <laughs> who the fuck is this Charles Dickens, and why should I care? <laughs> what did he ever do? That's tit.
1: It would be quite worrying, worrying if three former writing students had never heard of Charles
0: Dickens.
2: it's just a like it's one of those weird things where people have cultural blind spots and they've just sort of (laughs) never seen star wars or something yeah
1: um
2: but yeah the the oh god i've completely forgotten where i was Uh, but yeah talking about charles dickens that i was so prepared to sing the praises of um of Gatiss, when it's just like, oh, the Doctor, when he meets a historical figure, especially Tennant, I think we've yeah. said this before, it's like,
1: oh, brilliant, you're brilliant, I like you. And then yeah. he gets to
0: tell them that their works will endure for a thousand years when that's probably not actually going to happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's just like, I, yeah, I know, he's seen the entirety of human history, presumably he's aware of, like, Writers or or sort of pre literature writers, why, do, why does he never go and visit one of them? Why is it always a children's literature staple?
0: <laughs> do you think he's just trying to make them feel better? Could be. Could about be. being very tiny and insignificant. I mean, it's. Why is certainly... it only the feelings of writers that he feels <laughs> the need to salve? Why male oh, come on, writers. there is that one with Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> oh, that's as well. true.
1: I think the thing is, it's a fantasy that all creative people have. Like, I don't think there's anyone who's ever put any effort into a creative endeavour, whether it's, you know, poetry or painting or music or whatever it is, that wouldn't secretly love a time (laughs) traveller to show up and just say, pat them on the back and say, don't worry, after you've gone people did give a shit. <laughs> just, I mean, yeah. the chances are... For... It's a wish fulfilment no, exercise. Exactly. In, in 99% of cases, that is simply not true. People just don't get... People barely gave a shit when you're alive, and
0: they have completely forgotten you now. You're not there to pimp it. Do you think Mark Gatiss is waiting for a time traveller to show yeah. up at his house and tell I him how important he is?
1: i Sorry to say it, Gatus. I'm not sure. I'm not sure a time traveller would really be able to hand on heart say that you're working yours for a thousand years. Not to say I don't. I don't have a lot of time for the man, but (laughs) but yeah, no. It definitely there is a sense of wish fulfilment there, isn't there? Um, But yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, So we get that great cold open and cut to doctor and rose at the tardis they're going to do proper time travel that's exciting it seems the doctor is shit at flying the tardis at the moment because first of all he requires rose to like prod a particular bit or something and and generally yeah, it's speaking
2: a, it's like a two person job
1: yeah it normally isn't right what was normally he doing he just before gets on with it by himself
2: felt quite um, cluttered especially just even compared to the last two episodes like it felt a little bit more claustrophobic to be honest i think I that think was maybe it was just closer in shots. camera angles
1: yeah i think it was it was just it was all entitled on the console of their faces and so it did but it did give it that air and there was just kind of like the fact that they when they land they both like fall on their backs and it just it's like makes me think just like when did you get so shit to <laughs> the tardis doctor I mean, you've had hundreds of years of practice at this point. Uh, so I wonder whether it's just he just doesn't give a shit at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's just
2: like a... It's, it's like someone who drinks and drives. He's just sort of gotten... He's it's just, just gotten not paying lazy. attention.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, he, which is, of course, how they end up in, in the wrong year, in the wrong place. Um... Because, of course, he said, was it Naples they were supposed to be
0: going to? Yeah, or somewhere like that.
1: Um,
2: yeah, but yeah Cardiff. You mis- you've <laughs> you probably got the better deal with Cardiff, to be honest. It's definitely cheaper I've... to
0: film there. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's Well no, sure. I'm just thinking, like, in I'm trying to think of what was happening in Naples in 1860, and that was round about like the era of Italian unification, so there was probably a, just a bunch of Shells going off. <laughs> I think probably be not better off in Cardiff. I mean there's <laughs> screaming ghost fire things. But Yeah, yeah. but he's <laughs> probably more
1: in his element there than like an active war zone.
2: Plus what a great excuse to just keep going back to Cardiff forever.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean this is our first at Cardiff uh, set episode, but I'm pretty it sure will it not won't be, be the our last. last. <laughs> see um, Wales But having said that I appreciated them having I don't know whether they actually were Welsh actors or just people doing decent accents but People I mean, doing Welsh face Certainly especially with Sneed there's something about a gloomy Welsh undertaker that just gives me a very specific kind of joy yeah. That's just. <laughs> it's just that, that's a something about the
2: Welsh Undertaker.
1: It's just yeah, just something about those combination of, that combination of factors that just works magnificently for me. The you know the accent, the look. I just I loved that character, even though he very quickly turned out to be a bit of a dick. Um, yeah. yeah. I d to I... know a bit of a
2: dick, just like someone who. I'd, I'd... I don't think he, like, even until the point that he dies, he doesn't really take the situation seriously at all. <laughs> doesn't no, seem I... to be invested in it in any way.
1: Well, he takes it seriously enough to drug Rose.
2: Yeah, lock with, her up. with
1: the ether. That
2: I think it was probably just more normal in the 1860s. People would carry around a series of sort of vaporous fluids with which to revive and incapacitate women at their leisure. Because that because it was just, you know, that was considered perfectly usual behaviour. Oh, a lady's fainted, get some smelling salts. Oh, a lady's not fainting, get some ether.
1: It's part of the gentleman's toolkit. It was just, you know, part of your bro bag. Um, but yeah so... so
0: what are his motivations for knocking Rose out though other than that she's Yeah I feel seen like that shows much. a lack of a That lack was of pretty Too much, much of what? Too much of some ghosts. I thought he wanted people to know about the ghosts because it was great marketing.
1: I think <laughs> I think he specifically said that he was happy when he got the 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 premises because there were ghost stories attached to it and you know a, a macabre uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing for an Undertaker's. But I don't think he was best pleased that you know, it ter- I, I don't think it's good advertising for an Undertaker for your corpses to be walking around terrorising the locals. I don't think that's going to send a lot of business your way.
0: Well, if anything, that's a USP. That's like, <laughs> I can bring your dead people back to life.
2: To. Sort of, said, kind of. That's, that's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, just something it does. That happens accidentally. <laughs> yeah. I can bring your relatives back. Oh, admittedly, as screaming corpses, screaming but, I mean, and screaming
0: you know. and screaming.
2: You'll finally get to say all those things that you wanted to say to them, and, uh, <laughs> and they will scream at those things, which might be appropriate, might be inappropriate, but it's probably very
1: therapeutic. Yeah. yeah. So we get our, um, after after they land in Cardiff, we get our first proper look at uh, Simon Callow as as Charles Dickens. What, what do we both reckon to uh, Callow as Dickens?
2: That is Callow as Callow, (laughs) I think. That's him just being a lovey who happens to be Charles Dickens.
0: It was a good beard. The beard was was. doing a lot of acting. Yeah.
1: Do you think it was doing all the heavy lifting? Do you think Callow was bringing much to the table? Was he just coasting on that beard? It was (laughs)
0: 50-50. At least.
2: I, I, I suppose, like every actor who has to do that in something like Doctor Who for a one shot oh let's go back in time and see this famous person has to make certain decisions. Some of it is going to be done for them. The work that is going to be done by the beard it's going to be done by someone constantly saying their name <laughs> or- Incessantly making references to their literary works. Some of that work is going to be in the script, but some of it's going to be. And I think um, Callow is nicely kind of just sort of relaxed and being playing Charles Dickens as a performer, not as just sort of an impossible to, to reach kind of character from history or something yeah, he's just yeah slight i i quite like him because he's a bit kind of knackered and strung out and kind of implied to be a drunk i think <laughs> yeah like so, certainly where he, he just was like canes a, a vodka before he goes on stage
1: <laughs> or something yeah i mean i i i get the feeling callum was having a lot of fun doing that part um I don't know whether he's ever played Dickens before. It wouldn't surprise me if he had, to be honest, because does he does look quite like the part, doesn't he? he yeah, the I beard think. He, in storage, he's always going to be on the short list, isn't he? If you need a Dickens, mm.
0: he's, he's on going, mine. He's...
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've all got one. <laughs> don't pretend you don't. <laughs> We've all got a, a Dickens shortlist. <laughs> got Judy Dench mm. on mine just to be adventurous <laughs> um,
2: I've, I've just got the t- laziest Hollywood casting ever, I think I'm just going to get Helen Mirren to do it
1: <laughs> because she just,
2: just everything oh, fuck now. it, why not she could probably do it
1: <laughs> um, so yeah uh, so we get Dickens on stage doing a bit of the old Christmas carol, punters love it and and
2: he, he he explicitly kind of references, yeah, him doing the Christmas Carol bit. As you say, the punters do love it. But that's kind of like, I don't know, that's him doing his George Carlin going on stage and saying the 10 words you can't say on television.
1: Yeah. Like <laughs> that's
2: his, that's old material at this point. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. It's
2: Is like that what Anna plays used do- to be
0: like back then? Just a man standing and reading a book out. It probably was. <laughs> We don't know. I, yeah,
2: well, Dickens did did do these kind of tours. I think that's quite historically accurate that he would kind of schlep his way around the entire country, yeah, and try and flog his books. <laughs> like, well, not necessarily flog his books, but it was. I think mean, it was seen as like a good to do thing by, um, especially because Dickens most of his work is not about ghosts. It is about documenting the kind of plight of the urban poor. Um, the rough fairly newly created plight of the urban poor because of industrialisation. So he's mm. I think the idea is that the, seeing as back then the majority of people kind of couldn't read. She says she only go she she only went to school um like once a week and it was kind of mainly to church. <laughs> like it was Yeah, it was just it was to... that, like mostly people couldn't read. So his that was literally his way of Going round and getting his books to people, sort of. I think he, he also did the thing that a lot of authors at the time did, where they would publish like serialized versions of their books in the newspaper or something. Yeah, but that I, I... was not a thing that most people read, and most people couldn't read, so he would do these tours, and that also coincides with the phantasmagoria thing, which is sort of the Victorian version of CGI, where you would have <laughs> kind of ghostly spectacle theatre where yes, people Magic would go London to get jump-scared.
1: Yeah, because yeah, it you, 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 you was the height of that and height of things like... Um, oh, I've, I've lost the word. You know... Uh, they kind of reference it later on with the seances that, you know, uh, yeah, tam- the, tambourines the and squeeze boxes. And the, yeah, like spiritualism, kind of exactly. Yeah, movement
2: of uh, yeah. performative um that's sort of basically the performance side of the, the the Gothic literature era where there's this con conflict between the past and the the future uh and it all gets played out in different ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I really liked the kind of referencing it to performance, the the stuff on the stage with the Phantasmagoria, the stuff uh, the Seance, the it's got this really kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of... Like, it just feels really a nice survey of the time. Like Absolutely, yeah. Amount I amount feel... of elements to bring in all about the same kind of stuff and the same tension.
1: Yeah, I feel like... I get the feeling Gators has had this one knocking around for a while, and, you know, the research has definitely... Got... Um, gone in, and you can see it's all coalesced quite nicely into a very cohesive self-contained story. And I think, yeah, the other thing that I wanted to mention about that scene in the theatre, I think that's the first time we get a really proper... I guess we get a little bit before, but uh, the, the the sort of ghostly effects um, that they used for the... what are they called? The Gelf? Yeah. Yeah. Really holds up, actually.
0: Yeah, it doesn't look half bad. Compared to some of the
1: CGI in the first couple of episodes, I think it's pretty decent. And there's a couple of dodgy moments towards the end, but but I f- that kind of really adds to mm. the sort of lasting quality of this episode, I think. There's um, certainly
2: no nesting consciousness.
1: No, quite. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not your Matthew, your Matthew it and sooty thing. Like you can <laughs> believe that this is a thing. This is a thing that's in front of him and is talking yes. back and is yeah,
1: just... absolutely. So um, we already kind of mentioned it. Uh, shit goes down in the theatre. Everyone panics. Um, Rose gets drugged, and we have that little chase scene. We get uh, Dickens and the Doctor. In the carriage, he's doing his own. Oh, I love you, you're so brilliant. <laughs> I love your
0: books. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Dickens isn't exactly, exactly massively freaked out by this. And is like, oh, he can stay. This strange <laughs> man who's jumped into my car with me. Why don't you stay here? Just
2: it's a fucking offence. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, get your... Like, I suppose that's kind of part and parcel with Doctor Who. Every time he goes back to uh, see a historical figure that's like famous and he's like, yeah, brilliant! Um, That kind of ties into Doctor Who fandom and sci-fi fandom in general, the perceived obsessiveness of it, which I think was probably just coming into its place at the kind of top of the culture or yeah. starting to come into that when this series of Doctor Who is about. It's starting so, to really so, be the focus of the mainstream, that level of fandom.
1: Yeah, and I think it is noticeable across all of the incarnations we've had um, from Eccleston onwards that the Doctor generally is a fan and fannish about a lot of the things um, that he references. Uh, Earth Stuff like even if it's only passing references to musicians that he's mm. met or um you know things like that it's it's often it's just an excuse for writers to uh reference something that they're into to
2: essentially philate um, a dead author
1: exactly um <laughs> which is you know but but yeah the the, na- the nature of how it's expressed is very much in keeping with kind of modern fandom and um yeah, that thought is trailing off, isn't it? <laughs> so well, it's, anyway, it's so... not so much a a kind of
2: it's a overt tribute rather than like a lot of the parts of this story and later stories. So it's it's an overt tribute tribute rather than the sort of the structure and the content of the story being a tribute. Which I think this is both both of them are yeah. But there are times where it goes back in I can't think of one specifically. He goes back in time and he's just like, all right, so he's met this great person and all we're doing is referencing that superficially. It's just someone who looks like them and he's saying hello and how brilliant they are. Like I
1: think yeah. this this one. I can definitely think well. of examples of that. I can think of one in particular, cough the Shakespeare Code cough. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Burn.
1: So yeah. We will get to that. Mm. Um so we uh so so they chase after the hearse and Rose. Um they make their way back to the undertakers and Rose
2: Rose for the second time in as many weeks is banging at a door begging for someone to let her out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of becoming a theme very quickly, isn't it? <laughs> I I wonder Hope we don't how long see they too can
2: much keep people. that happening for <laughs>
1: Imagine like, if they did deliberately a make a tr-
2: <laughs> That is a they... trope of New Who now. It's happened twice. <laughs> Rose gets locked in somewhere, can't get out.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to start keeping track of that now, aren't we? Every yeah. time it happens, we're going to make a point of bringing it up. Because I'm sure it will happen again at least once before the series is out. Probably more times than that. Because we I, make I a graph? Yes. <laughs> yes it's, we could.
2: It's tying in with a line to, of
1: best fit. Oh yeah.
2: It's it's all part of of rose's every woman kind of uh persona where it's just what she does uh ev- everything she does kind of resonates with a common experience that everyone can relate to and forgetting your keys and just being like ah oh, bollocks. But also being terrified because there's a zombie screaming ghost behind you.
0: And also you're inside your own house.
2: And you've forgotten
0: you don't need your keys to leave from the inside.
2: We've all been there. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, But yes, a line of best fit on the graph. Yeah,
1: it'll be interesting to see whether uh, that's kind of an upward diagonal or a downward diagonal. Whether we start strong and they gradually... It gra- gradually dissipates over the course of the series or whether maybe there's a dip and then like the last five episodes it's just every other <laughs> e- every episode she's getting locked in cupboards because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can't remember like this episode for me is the one that stands out more than any other this series it's the one I remember the most um, so it could be all down here uh, downhill from here guys
0: <laughs> that's
2: something to look yeah. forward
0: to uh, <laughs> uh,
2: briefly before we get to the next thing that happened which is yeah. also about Rose because the Doctor kind of does just I mean until he's actually doing something and intervening like relatively close to the end he's mostly either running or sitting in the corner grinning whilst, yeah. like, so, but Rose wears an outfit that I'm pretty sure is not appropriate for uh, Wales today, like because <laughs> like, Wales is cold, really cold, and like gaslit Victorian Wales. She should put at something least have on your a, shoulders, love. You yeah, look freezing. a
1: shawl or something.
2: Um, but the doctor then pays her the compliment comf- of, "You're beautiful for a human." Which oh, is yeah. odd, because like, time lords and humans don't really seem to have much in the way of an aesthetic like, difference, species-wise. I thought that was a little bit unnecessary.
0: Maybe they yeah. look different in four dimensions. Maybe he was begging oh, her. Yeah. Oh <laughs>
2: is that what that was? <laughs> that kind of thing, is was? He's just trying to lower her self-esteem <laughs> so he can get her back in the TARDIS. <laughs> Because apparently he can't drive it on his own. <laughs>
1: um, so, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they they let Rose out, don't they? I forget how...
0: Do they just sort of, like, just open the door for her? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of pulls it a bit roughly, but he basically does just sort of turn the knob <laughs> and... Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think... Oh, there, there you go. go. <laughs> I mean, I mean,
2: why do you lock the door of a morgue? That's, a, that's an interesting point that this like, really does bring up. Like, maybe that's, like, what we're supposed to be like, hang on, what? <laughs> like, it, I suppose this guy does, like, know that his morgue has a problem yeah. with people escaping it. Um, But in general, yeah, you wouldn't expect there to be locked doors in morgues. But anyway, liked... she gets out and then has a go. <clears throat> Sorry, Kevin. Ka- <laughs> she then gets out and, and has, has a massive go <laughs> At the Welsh bloke, um, on account of he uh, uh, quite rightly um, ethered her, uh, <laughs> which is just what is standard practice at the time, especially amongst. Um, oh no, it wouldn't have been ether. I reckon. I reckon it'd probably be chloroform.
1: Chloroform, yeah, or some guess.
2: Victorian version of chloroform. Though I reckon they might have used sort of flu. Fluoride or not flu? Oh God, what's it called? Can't remember. Formaldehyde. Um, formaldehyde. No, that's no. the one. Fluoride wouldn't have done. Is not that for like preserving things? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it'll fuck you up as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um. So yeah,
1: yes, you're right. She does have a massive go at him, and also kind of casually mentions that he might have felt her up a bit. Which... Yeah, that's glossed
0: over. It, yeah, boy, uh, is it. <laughs> <laughs> that's um. It's just par for the course, David. I mean, he's an undertaker.
2: He probably does that a lot. Just you know, who <laughs> who would know? It's one of and, the perks of the job. Yeah, you know, it's uh, he's got to spend all his de- all his time around dead bodies. Um, doesn't have any noticeable uh, respectability to him. Which at the time would have been a lady wife, yeah. um, Has has a a a servant who he apparently just found on the street again, very dodgy. Uh, But so yeah, I think it's probably his perspective that if the eyes are closed, then good to go. Yeah, fair game. That's that's his demographic. That's. that's,
1: That's his who he type goes for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, after that, this this episode kind of like settles into this nice groove for a bit, doesn't it? Where you've got Dickens as the skeptic about it's, it's like, oh, it's hocus pocus, it's bunkum, blah blah blah. I'm getting gradually more and more drunk. And the doctor <laughs> the also just going,
2: the, the doctor also just going, shut up, Charles Dickens, you <laughs> prick. Yeah. I love you, but just... <laughs> shut the fuck up.
0: You're I out of you your depth, Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Say this to the grown up. Stick to what you know, writing about ghosts for a living, <laughs> but not actually believing in them.
2: I think that was kind of deliberate... Um like dickens was kind of a dawkins e figure of his time <laughs> yeah of the, the post enlightenment rationalists um who was interested in the idea of ghosts and what they represent and how they have an appeal to people but not necessarily like but completely like had no time for spiritualism and séances and yeah. all of that stuff
1: it's it's interesting if you look look at like some of the other writers um I'm 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 gonna look like a tit in a second now because I forget exactly whether Conan Doyle came a little bit after Dickens, whether there was any overlap. But then you, I think cause, there was, because Conan Doyle is kind of like other end of the the spectrum where you know his most famous creation um, is a deeply rational human being, Sherlock Holmes, but yet he himself was yeah he really was like into spiritual in spiritual garden and
2: stuff wasn't it yeah yeah he was. Yeah, well...
1: he was He was just hook, line, and sinker for all of that bullshit. Um, So it was, yeah, it was a common thing of the time, so I I could quite foresee someone like Dickens appreciating the literary and metaphorical um, potential of ghosts and of spiritual aspects, but railing against... The actual notion that these things can exist um mm. because it kind of if it apart from anything else it undermines the their literary value mm. um and you know he they you know there's that talk in the script of like you know, saying, oh yes I write about ghosts and stuff, but that's not you know that's not really what my my work is you know he that he was you know he explicitly says i'm trying to expose and shed a light on you know the social problems of the day
2: mm. yeah um, he he's i mean yeah even in his most famous ghost story he's using ghosts as a essentially a vehicle for guilt mm. and for trauma and haunting and like past memories um yeah he's he's real he's using them as a device they're not they are not supposed to be ghosts and in a sort of like ah, see, maybe this will happen
1: yeah, absolutely Um, and and it's
2: part of the whole populism of it that he's clearly using uh, a ghost story and things like that to get across a message which is, I think probably ties in quite well to how Doctor Who works because it is popular sci-fi that will use often sort of a fairly We'll use like a horror framework, um, but especially especially kind of recently. I don't know. I don't know so much about like old Who, but we'll use that to get across some kind of social critique or uh, criticism, which is probably a good kind of chiming point for anyone trying to write for Doctor Who.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think the th- it's um. It kind of waxes and wanes, and I think has has the new series as well. Like, it depends on the writer. Some mm. writers um, very definitely, you know, want to be making specific points or, or tackling certain themes or real world parallels with their writing for Doctor Who, and others just kind of want to tell a good creepy story or, you know, a bit of a sort of knockabout farce or whatever. And it's all valid as far as I'm concerned, you know, you, the the thing about dr who that i love about it is that it's like a sandpit you know you can play with it however you want um and
2: uh... but we have lots of different examples in this episode of different people using that same fascination with ghosts uh to a to different ends so obviously like dickens is very skeptical of the seance because what séances were, were at the time was a type of theatre type of yeah. popular entertainment that relied on.
1: Or, it was, or just a con. In the yeah. cases of like private seances, it was just con artistry. Yeah. It was it was a, a type of performance, but it's
2: it's that sort of um like magic now people go because they want to be tricked. Um probably in a less rational time people might have gone because they genuinely think magic
1: happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, what have I got here? The so yeah, we've got we've got that scene, um, which I did want to specifically mention. The scene between Gwyneth and Rose, we kind of mentioned it in passing <laughs> before, but um, after we get through the whole, ho oh, oh, ho things were different in the past, weren't they? <laughs> God, they were you had indeed. a shit time. Um, but once we get past that. We get a couple of um, little tidbits. We get a, the first reference to Rose's father being dead, hmm. which plays into later episodes. Um, and we get we... the first reference of bad wolf. Ooh. Hmm.
2: We also get a bunch of, like, Rose's obsession. I think when she talks to anyone who is even vaguely her contemporary, is how many A levels have you got? (laughs) (laughs) And like she's she was well into it in that first episode, but now she's just like lording it over. And like she cut it, the psychic um, maid does kind of call her on it later, where she was just like, Yeah, I did, uh, I looked inside your brain and you do think I'm stupid. Like, let's be honest. Like, she's she's got a kind of thing about that. Yeah.
0: I wonder if that's going to be, like, an ongoing theme as we go on. Like, Rose kind of investigating the sort of conditions in which, like, other working class people from different time periods and planets live. Yeah, or well, maybe she's, it's she's on her
2: like... gap year, she's experiencing <laughs> new cultures, she's figuring out what she wants to do with her life. Maybe she wants to be a maid in the 1860s, she doesn't know that. She's basically <laughs> I mean, doing, doing a kind of shadowing
1: exercise. Yeah, I expect by the end of this episode she's probably crossed that one off her list. <laughs> she's probably seen enough of that to be like, you know what... The perks probably don't outweigh the, the cons.
2: All the corpses you can grope. <laughs> <laughs> as many feels
1: as you want. At <laughs> eight pounds a year. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, so then we get the actual seance. We get our first proper chat with the Gelf, who seem a bit needy. Oh yeah, God <laughs> Pity the girls <laughs> <laughs> It's been pathetic really isn't it? I mean It was I, I know, it I know. on
2: pretty thick, wasn't it? Especially knowing now what happened and I think I vaguely yeah. remembered from the first time I saw it all those years ago that that was there was gonna be some kind of turnaround on that.
1: Yeah, I mean to be honest Looking back, nobody should have been surprised that they turned out to be bastards, because think about mm. what they've done with the bodies that they'd already occupied. They were pretty much just immediately using them to try and kill people.
0: Oh yeah,
1: like all the way through the episode. So then, when in the séance, they're like, "Oh, we're we're just there's only a few of us, and we're we just so want some coach. bodies." Please, to we...
2: <laughs> exactly the, the doctors all just like oh, sorry about the time war, they're using <laughs> his white time lord guilt for evil
1: <laughs> to, to get one over on him. I do think that's, that was a very conscious choice, and it is he's motivated by his guilt at this point, I think, and that's why he buys their story so readily. I feel like later mm. doctors might have maybe been a bit more suspicious, been a bit more probing because he doesn't really ask them any questions, he just like he lets them do their spiel, and he's like, "Oh, oh, that's that sucks. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, there you go, through you come, <laughs> and he like, does. He uh, does that uh, whole. Yeah. could s- you
2: uh, could just uh, stand in that archway there and um, <laughs> act as a conduit for the uh, the gelf. You know the gelf, don't you? Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> lovely bunch of chaps.
2: <laughs> yeah, pity them. Pity the gelf.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, they. Uh, he, yeah, I mean, he gets on his high horse with Rose as well about like you know, oh your human morality. We this is you know this is bigger than that. You know, yeah. who cares about a few corpses in the face <laughs> of? <laughs> I mean,
2: that's basically the same argument that. The Undertaker uses to get his jollies off on the corpses. No wonder that fucking door locks. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want. To, he doesn't yeah. want people to see it. He's doing a reanimator on them. But uh, yeah, I I think the note I got down for the Gelf was um, uh, these refugees from the time law, time war. We've we've seen a couple of them so far. I mean, but when the Gelf. Uh, do send their people. They're not sending their best people. Uh, they're bringing drugs. They're rapists, and uh, <laughs> some of them, I assume, are good people.
1: <laughs> but you know, that's the thing. You've got you've got to ask yourself: Is it worth letting the bad apples through just for the I sake? I think we need to build a wall, David.
2: <laughs> build a wall uh, around uh, gas. The intangible uh, Gelf gas.
1: (laughs) Oh, we could just blow it up. That would be an easy solution. I tell you what would really help in this situation is if we limited the Gelf's access to benefits for, let's say, you know, two to five years, something like that, because at the end of the day, until they're actually contributing and paying into society... It's, it's not really fair, is it? Uh... I mean, I... Yeah, we, you, I mean, we want I, to help I, them, but... Exactly. I mean, you hear these stories. I mean, I don't have any facts to prove it, but you hear these stories of, you know, Gelf, they're coming over here. They just... They get given a house. Yeah,
2: just, just given one. Just, I mean, just I, straight I need off a house. The bat, why just... why exactly. can't I have a house? I'm...
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, a, I'm paying I'm rent. I don't get a free house. here. And you know they 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 get all of these benefits that they're, they're taking Do you know some of them have got mobile Aubrey phones Hunt. they've got
2: smartphones the gulf they've i yeah, see them using th- them all the time exactly in i in the shopping you know, center it's
1: it's not it's not on really is it it's not on <laughs> Anyway, we do, I think we've, uh, we've yeah, that's, that. Bit, uh, you, think.
2: <laughs> you get it. You understand, right? People, people, did you, you get the thing that we were saying—the <laughs> thing about the gulf. Like we were, need we were to being just... racist. We were being ghost racist.
1: To, racist to, to just...
2: ghost, which is okay because it's racism towards white people. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one acceptable frontier of racism, David. I'm, call, I'm calling it out. This is a secret E.D.L. podcast. <laughs> Stealth. We've got four episodes. We're gonna just—we're gonna drop it. Now
1: now. Amy You're ready for the truth Can you do, can you do me a <laughs> favour and Just sound the satire horn I, 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 oh, sh-
2: Can you oh. get like a uh, Yeah we need like a, a special I sound don't have effect. a horn
0: but I do have a bell
2: oh, right. That'll do go Amy ring the satire Hush. bell
0: Hush now There we go
2: The satire bell has been rung Satire has been done <laughs>
1: Excellent. So, I think, are we done with this? <laughs> is there anything else to say about this episode? Amy, you've you've, you've been quiet. What's
0: you got? Anything else I... you want to
1: add about this episode?
0: Hang on. Uh what else is there? Cut this bit out.
2: I've I've got a very brief bit to add while Amy's looking at her notes. Yeah. At the end, Charles Dickens just walks around, um, saying his famous catchphrases, which is a bit. I think that's a bit hacky. <laughs> it's
0: just in, in case Charles people didn't Dickens. get the message first time
2: it's around, he like, might as well just walk away, going, "I'm Charles
0: Dickens. <laughs> I'm Charles Goddamn Dickens. Goddamn it."
2: He just walks down the street, occasionally saying that to people.
1: <laughs> I mean, we certainly got the impression that Dickens likes a bit of attention and praise. So maybe he's just that needy that he just needs everyone to recognise and know that he's Charles and say, "Oh, Charles Dickens, yeah, I like that. I like that thing you did that, that one about the um, bloke." With, you know, had a dog what was just, that one he's just oh. very needy he's uh. one of
2: he's one of the many needy sets of characters in this the gelf they're needy
1: very needy
2: Charles Dickens clearly demands attention and I thought at the start where he was all sort of like um like sad and oh I, I don't have a family and I drink and I'm constantly on the road and oh I'm haggard and down and I've got the block and all that and and then, at the end, it turns out he does have a family. He just doesn't go and see them. I Again, just...
1: I think that that is kind of historically accurate, actually. I, I, yeah, I think he spent most of his it,
2: but... time whoring on the South Bank.
1: Yeah, he, he kind of... He had he had a wife and kids. And I think he had kids from other ladies as well. And... He had yeah, he a compli- complicated home with life.
0: <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, that all works. Have you had a, anything from your notes, Amy? Oh, there's a few things. only one thing that, like, I might have missed part of something at the end while I was writing stuff down, but where he was like, oh, I thought, uh, she's dead. She was dead already. She was dead before she she hit the ground. She was dead when she stepped into that arch. Yes. And uh, I did I miss why, or was it just a cool, creepy thing for him to say? No, <laughs> definitely
1: that. It was... There, there was no indication prior to that that um, she would be dead as a result Why? of coming. Why would she
0: be dead? Why? <laughs> I mean, that, Do you I think... not
2: understand how space rifts work, Amy? Um... <laughs> Just that's how it works. You yeah. grow up on the space rift, that gives you magic Gelf powers. grow
0: up on the space um, rift, you're dead. Dead already, yeah. before you're even born... Them's the breaks. Damn.
2: It's it's actually a, a piece of of cutting social commentary. Oh, okay then. She was she was dead before before she was even uh, stood under the arch. Uh, the arch represents capitalism, maybe. Ah. <laughs> I might be. be reading into it a little bit too far. <sighs>
1: so, yeah, I think I think we're done then, aren't we? I don't. I don't have anything else really to say about this episode.
2: No, I mean I think what we were you saying, or what I was saying earlier about um, Charles Dickens and the link between Doctor Who and Charles Dickens. His last kind of optimistic, um, Tiny Tim go by a goose statement at the end, which yeah. obviously kind of had to be put in as a reference to Dickens as a sort of <laughs> he's changing his ways. Yeah. Um, visited by um gassy ghosts. Is
0: that what right? happened in a Christmas carol, like the upshot of Ebenezer Scrooge being visited by all those ghosts was that he believed in ghosts afterwards. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that was that was the main thing. He uh, he was open-minded afterwards. Uh he was still a total prick, but he was just yeah. like, you know there's ghosts, right? It <laughs> just became this weird, reclusive Howard Hughes kind of figure, <laughs> who never cut his fingernails and just shouted out of his window to tidy boys to go and buy gooses for him. It's was- a
1: mind out for ghosts.
0: I've got a house full of ghosts to feed. <laughs>
2: I always thought with that, like, uh, you there, boy, what day is this? (laughs) Instead of, like, why, sir, tis Christmas Day. He's like, buy a fucking calendar, you rich cunt. (laughs) 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 That's not characteristic of the wit of the urban poor of London. I think Charles Dickens does them a disservice there. (laughs) But basically that bit where he sort of ties it all together of like, I've learned uh, the power of ghosts as a thing and I will tell stories to that or something. And then the doctor's just like, oh yeah, he dies next week. (laughs) (laughs) What a prick. (laughs) He's like, and then she's like, "Oh no!" And then he's like, well He was. He, that's just what happens. That's how dying works. That's people. People die. Um, but yeah. Then, but basically, that is them doing this, and thus was speculative fiction born. This sort of contextualizing it as pre science fiction, science mm. fiction, and fantasy, and that mix where it's not easily one or the other. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then he died, so...
1: Wow, <laughs>
0: probably for the best. Like, that wouldn't have been a good ending to Edwin Drood.
1: Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I've not read it, but I'm guessing it would have been jarring
0: yeah. if it turned out a ghost done it. <laughs> oh, then and a then ghost there was this time traveller and...
2: from the
1: future,
2: and uh, this woman who wasn't wearing enough clothes for Cardiff.
1: It was the whole thing. <laughs> So, um, let's do ratings then. Uh, Amy, marks out of ten for The Unquiet Dead.
0: It's... Oh, God, like, I'd say I'd give it seven out of ten.
1: Joe?
2: Um, I can't remember what my other ones were, but I liked it more than last week's one, so, uh, nine.
1: I'm gonna go with you there, Joe. Um, it's a solid nine for me, um... I have a gripe. Oh, I should mention my gripe. My one petty gripe. Which is, it's, to be honest, it's not a big thing. It's just the whole, when they reveal the Gelf are evil, and it's just like, so immediately they have an evil voice and red eyes. (laughs) Which they don't have prior to that. And I guess the other gripe which I've already mentioned, which is, surely someone could have figured out that they were a bit rum- what with them going about <laughs> killing yeah, everyone. Yeah, the fact that they um, had they yeah, actively yeah, murder murdered a wrong. person. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, How we were just, it? you know... Yeah, that, does, that really does get glossed over. Anyway... <laughs> we were just having...
2: Um, re- maybe they have been conditioned <laughs> by the necrophiliac undertaker to believe that that... Maybe he also has, like, an erotic asphyxiation kind of thing, and he's been just training them to do that while he's at his business... And they thought that was just a normal human thing. They thought we liked it.
1: I mean, I, I suppose that would be um, one um, way to rationalise that, that. That's
2: in the subtext, I think, quite clearly, <laughs> that we've, we've <laughs>
1: unfolded it. Excellent. Uh, so, I, sh- I should give a rating, should I? Yes, nine. Nine for me as well. Like, it's pr- probably my favourite Gatus episode. I'm, I'm trying to think. it's certainly it's up there for me um and you know he's kind of his work has been kind of variable over the years for Who but he comes out the gate strong I think this is kind of like everything I want from a good episode of Doctor Who Mm. so yeah a nine yeah um probably gonna edit this out Might
2: not. Depends how lazy I'm feeling. (laughs) I reckon you could probably get this down to a
1: a tight 40. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Probably. Okay. um, So, uh, before we get into our recommended Things segment, I wanted to remind everyone of ways they can get in touch. You can email us at childrenofthewilderness at gmail.com Better still, you can um, How's the
2: mailbag doing there, David?
1: You'll, uh, you'll know. You'll know when there is a letter. You're waiting until you're waiting
2: until like you get it gets full, aren't you? So you can you know impress us. Yeah. Um, what if we start making fake email accounts and emailing in to you? Do you reckon you'd know?
1: That sounds like a challenge. I tell you what, if. I'm up. I mean, I'm up for that challenge. See if see if if you can dupe me into actually reading out a fake email. <laughs> but I mean, I'll be honest. If I suddenly check the, the account tomorrow and there is an email from, <laughs> oh, from yeah. Letitia Scrimp, I will probably know that it's you.
2: No, we we have friends. We can use we can use their email accounts. It'll seem totally legit. <laughs>
1: I will take that gentleman's wager <laughs> um, but yes yeah, so even if you, you know if you can't be bothered to send in an email that's fine but if you can at least rate us maybe leave a little review on iTunes or Stitcher or leave a comment on SoundCloud or something those are all good things you can do which help if other people exists. find if this SoundCloud doesn't
2: <laughs> still exist um, try but you know don't knock yourself out
1: yeah so, um time to recommend a thing. Um Who wants to go first?
2: Uh I have to just quickly rummage through my bag, so can I uh all right. David or Amy go first.
0: Amy, you got something prepared? Um I haven't really done anything since the last time we spoke. <laughs> Which was like, let's absolutely. be clear,
1: about a month ago.
0: Yeah, like all I have done this week is Well, in the last few days, I've eaten, like, an entire giant Toblerone, so I can recommend that. Um, Good. That's certainly something people can try at home. Yes. So, in in the interest of... didn't know about uh, Toblerones. They have those now.
2: In the interest of balance, we do have to um, inform you that other um, triangular chocolates are available. Would you like to name some? Um, Because I can't think of any. Uh, trio,
1: trio. Is
2: that? That I makes me think. I don't know what a trio I... is, but I know that I know that it has like a a thing. A, <laughs> I know that it has an advert. But...
1: I I mean I remember trios f- from when we were kids, and I've not seen them since. But they were like biscuit bars uh... in, with three distinct segments. I don't
0: know if biscuit bars count. Yeah, mm. and they were uh, crucially not
1: triangular.
2: Ah, I, uh, I was taking a punt really. It was. Oh, <laughs> I, I've never what, seen a trio.
1: Great, great triangles from
0: Quality Street. Oh yes. There you go. If it's the shape <laughs> of the chocolate that really does it for you, that's an alternative. Yeah. Not an alternative that I would especially recommend in the face of a hole like this. Is a big. It was as big as my leg. Jesus. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> like if you have to choose. Yeah, go go for the giant toadlero.
1: Yeah, I I back you up on that. Okay, so uh, the thing that I wanted to mention um, was a couple of podcasts that have been uh, very useful additions to my feed in recent weeks. Um, as you may or may not be aware, the uh, the run up to the U.S. presidential election is now well underway. There have been, there's been a caucus and a primary, both of which, prior to listening to these podcasts, I wasn't really clear on the difference between. (laughs) But but basically, being a bit of a, you know, someone with an interest in politics, um, even though I, you know, it sometimes drives me to despair. I kind of try, have to try and detach myself from the, the, the human cost aspect of all of it and just kind of treat it like a spectator sport. It's the only way to keep myself sane whilst uh, following all this stuff. Um, as such, I can heartily recommend uh, two American politics podcasts that are both sort of both fairly new, I think, and kind of pretty much sprung up in order to cover this election. One uh, is the NPR politics podcast. NPR being, of course, National Public Radio. They put out a lot of good and varied podcasts, and this is, you know, a very polished affair, you know, pretty good journalism. There's, a, It's all kind of quite laid back and chummy, and, the, you know, they take the time to explain some of that stuff, like, as I say, caucuses, primaries, super delegates. Did't know what the hell they were, but yeah, Sounds Some exciting. Ways, yeah, Sounds it's
2: sort of a little bit like a comic book continuity, which might be why it appeals to you,
1: yeah, I'll be honest, not as exciting as um as <laughs> well, there's super yeah, delegates david they have they have super delegates, but you know they're no spider man, I'll put it that way, <laughs> um. So, yeah, the other one that I wanted to mention was the 538 election podcast. Um, I don't know if either you have heard of 538. It's a website run by a chap called Nate Silver, and basically, all their journalism is very data driven. They are into polls and statistics and raw numbers as a means of kind of keeping track of and predicting developments. What the hell are you doing, Joe? <laughs>
2: I'm trying to find my. I think I've left my laptop charger <laughs> over at the other side.
0: So <laughs> I Better make this be, quick. Yeah, yeah let's thinking, wrap this up then. Yeah, so basically
1: 5:38. Um, um, good. From if you're interested in like the data side of it, uh, so they go deep into all of the polls, um, how those might affect the outcomes of. the various twists and turns that are no doubt still to come in this election. Um, so, Joe, what is the thing that you would like to recommend?
2: Um, uh, right, uh, I would probably just like to recommend a bookshop if you're ever in Berlin. Uh, it's one that I went to earlier this week. Uh, it's called Otherland. It's a sci-fi and Fantasy Bookshop, it's a special bookshop. They have new books, which are uh, quite expensive on account of they are in, in, in... Well, most of their books are in German, but the English section right at the back has uh, new books in English, which are quite expensive, but a very good selection of if you are looking to spend expensive monies on new books. But they also have a nice collection of um, uh, uh, older sci-fi books. Uh, paperback, um, uh, which I I recently got. Mind Swap by Robert Sh- Robert Sheckley.
1: Oh, it uh, was Robert Sheckley Yeah. Oh, good. It's
2: very. Um, sorry, de- very...
1: we were we were kind of discussing this off air earlier. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it has Go very
2: um, effusive praise on the cover. <laughs> Um, which it can't possibly live up to. It's stuff like, Move over, Candide. Step down, Dr. Lau. Travel fast, Gulliver. This one tops you all. (laughs) And then on the inside, it says, Warning, before you read this book, you'd better know something about the author. He's impudent. He's different. He's outrageously funny. He's a landmark in speculative fiction. After you meet him again, you'll never be the same so why don't you just relax which is an odd kind of down <laughs> note right at the end there and enjoy Mindswap and the quote is if leprechauns wrote novels they'd probably read like Mindswap that's from the Buffalo News
1: yeah I like a bit of Sheckley I need to read Mindswap I've kind of been curious about it for a while as well um, as I was mentioning to you earlier Joe um there was, I, f- I can't remember the name of it, but there was a BBC radio uh, series which was kind of based on some of your short stories and there was some there was some fun stuff in that. Kind of in a sort of knockoff Douglas Adams way. Um, yeah, it's all right. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> so I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Next episode, we are going to be talking about Aliens of London and possibly World War 3 as well because it's a two-parter it's the one with the f- farting aliens and I don't want to drag it out any longer <laughs> than it's strictly necessary so I think we'll probably try and just cram the two episodes in and, and be done with it does that sound alright chaps yeah okay so that that will happen so join us then uh, anytime hope you enjoyed this uh, do consider dinner rating us whatever Thank you very much for listening Bye bye Bye. Thanks for listening to Children of the Wilderness Don't forget you can email us at childrenofthewilderness at gmail.com Our theme music is Retro Regeneration an 8-bit remix of the Don Who theme by Adam Kadowski.